Well, good morning. Everybody got in on time, so you're on the nice list. That's good. That's good. If you missed it, I said anybody who's not in here by the end of the first song is on Santa's naughty list. But uh, just kidding. Uh, let's let's thank Cassandra for leading us this morning, and and we're so glad that she's here. And uh, if we could throw up that slide of ways that we can be praying for her and for her ministry, that would be great. This is a f- smaller font, so you may not be able to see it, but pray for uh, the new school year that's starting in late August. Uh, pray for uh, new girls who are moving into the dorm. Uh, pray for building relationships with these new girls and for health and safety for everybody. And let's just keep that in prayer, not just um, uh, this Christmas season, but all year long. Let's keep praying because uh, God is on the move and often in ways that we never see coming like Cassandra pointed out to us this morning. Well, hey, we are starting a new series, an Advent series we're calling Looking for Christmas. And uh, how many of you have an Advent calendar in your home right now? Okay, I think this is just not a California thing. We were talking about this youth group on Wednesday night. Sandy asked me, hey, what's this Advent calendar thing? I've never heard of it. I had never heard of it growing up, but I didn't grow up in church. We didn't talk about anything like that. But apparently an Advent calendar is something that you like hang up on the wall. We have one in our house. Actually, we have two in our house now. Um, And uh, you track each day of December moving toward Christmas Day. Um, and it's fun, and we've got a snowman one, and then we've got one that's a little more serious and, and uh, tasteful, um, and, and it's, you know, sometimes people have fun with it, like there's sometimes ones with pockets, and they put a little chocolate in there, and you get your daily advent chocolate, or sometimes it's just a snowman you move from day to day, and this is my favorite advent calendar of all. If you can't see that, that is Hans Gruber falling from the top of Nakatomi Plaza from the movie Die Hard. This is the Hans Gruber advent calendar. Each day he falls further and further and further. This is for those of you who think that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Raise your hand if that's you. You think Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Okay. You need this advent calendar in your life. Hans Gruber. That's a real thing. You can buy that online. Uh, (laughs) These advent calendars are all about one thing, though. Maybe not this one. This one's just weird. But most advent calendars are about one thing. They're about anticipation. Uh, All of the people uh, of Israel, you know, at the time of Christmas, uh, the time that Jesus came, they had been waiting. It felt like God had been silent for 400 years. They, They had this promise from God that he was going to do something, and yet they weren't seeing it happen. And so Advent calls us to be in their shoes, to be in the position of waiting, And we wait with hindsight. We've seen what God has done in the past, and so we can celebrate, right? We can sing Christmas songs, even though it's not Christmas yet. That's okay. Um, but, But because we look and we see hindsight, we see reasons why we can have hope, the reasons why we can press on. But we're also in a position of waiting. Maybe it's a life circumstance thing. Uh, Maybe it's, hey, I know I've received new life in Jesus, but it's still really hard here and now, and we're looking for God to intervene. And all of us, if we have our faith in Jesus, are waiting for Jesus to return. The the Bible gives us a picture of what that's going to be like, a new heaven and new earth where there's no more tears or death or pain. And God is present with his people. So we put ourselves in that position of of anticipation, of waiting like the people of Israel did. And when we're little, uh, looking for Christmas, this whole idea of anticipation is kind of easy, right? You know, you get excited, you're anticipating Santa's coming Our presents are going to be around the tree. 
For me, the biggest thing I was anticipating every year were my cousins, who lived uh, about 10 hours drive away, always came to visit for Christmas. And so that's the thing I was most excited about. I meant time with my cousin Jeff, and we'd pretty much spend the whole thing in our underwear playing WWE wrestling. We would just beat each other up until somebody cried and went and calling grandma, and then the other one got in trouble. But that's what we anticipated every single year, was just being together, having that time. But as you grow up, you know, maybe some of the magic of Christmas seems to wear off. You know, I've had many years where Christmas was more stressful than joyful. You know, holidays can actually be some of the hardest times of the year when things in life aren't as they should be, right? There's people missing at the celebration who, who should be there, or we've got conflict in our life, and it distracts us from being able to celebrate. Or we're waiting, we're waiting for any sort of good news that might pull us through a difficult season, and it doesn't seem to be coming. Like the people of Israel, we're waiting for God to intervene. We're waiting. God, show up. Do something, please. That waiting and anticipation is what Advent is all about. You may be like me. You didn't grow up in church. Or, or, or maybe you grew up in a church that it was not very liturgical. You know, they, they didn't really stick to the, the, the traditional church calendar so much. And so Advent might not be super familiar to you. Uh, so before I go into scripture today, I want to break it down uh, so that you know the stuff that we're interacting with. And as always, I'm not just making stuff up. Um, the sources that we were using for these series, um, I also recommend these sources uh, for you to pick up one of these books because they, they serve as more devotional guides than um, history or theology guides. Um, and and we're, we're into the Advent season already, so if you grab one of these, don't think you've got to race through the first few days to catch up. No, start from day one and just work your way through. If you go through Christmas, you'll be okay, right? It's no magic if you finish on Christmas Day. But it's significant um, to, to spend some time each day connecting with God this Advent season. And so here are the three books that I'm using as sources, but I also would invite you to um, uh, pick up one of these and go through it. Honest Advent um, by Scott Erickson. This is a great, like, hey, we've heard the Christmas stories so many times that we can overly sanitize it. Let's, let's get real. Uh, let's get real with what's going on here, and it's re- very good. Advent for Everyone. Um, it's, a, it's an Advent uh, study through the book of Luke uh, with N.T. Wright. And then The Anticipated Christ, which is a book by Brian Zond, and I'll be quoting from that a little bit today. And he goes through the book of Isaiah uh, as his Advent guide. So any of these are great sources. Pick up all three and just rotate them every three years. Um, but that's what I'm ju- using as a jumping off point. But here are some of the things that I want to share with you if Advent is a new thing for you. And, and a lot of this comes from uh, uh, the introduction of the book, The Anticipated Christ. First, does anybody know what the word Advent means? Shout it out, anybody? Coming, arrival, arrival. Yeah, that's good. Um, arrival, I love that. It's from this Latin word that that centers around the arrival of Jesus Christ, the arrival of the fulfillment of God's promises, the arrival of Emmanuel, God with us. So why is Advent important? And many Protestant Christians avoid Advent because it feels too Catholic. Um, This is an overreaction as Protestant does does not mean that we protest everything our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters do. Uh, There's a lot of richness in that tradition that we can learn from and interact with. Brian Zahn talks about the importance of Advent this way. He says, you know, we live in a secular age and we treat the calendar almost in a secular way. It marks time and it helps us to know what dates are coming up, even, you know, carving out time for those, those religious dates. But he talks about the sacred calendar, and this is something that the church has been doing, observing important dates of remembrance, anticipation, celebration. 
We carve out specific times during the year to look back on what God has done, and we look forward to what he's going to do. We don't just mark it on our calendar. We carve out time to pray, reflect, feast, and celebrate. And this draws us closer to God, and it opens our eyes to his activity around us. The secular, secular calendar marks Christmas Eve and Christmas Day more like, hey, here's days you don't have to work, right? Or if you do have to work those days, it just makes you bitter that you have to work on those days, and the calendar reminds you of that. The sacred calendar actually marks out four weeks of waiting, Advent, four weeks of preparation. And when Christmas comes, it's not over on December 26th. No, Christmas starts a 12-day feast. I like that. Who else? Anybody? 12-day feast? All right. That's my feast people. (laughs) We celebrate for 12 days, and then at the end of the 12 days, we celebrate this, this holiday epiphany. And the epiphany is the celebration of Gentiles, which if you're not Jewish uh, by heritage, you would be considered a Gentile. <clears throat> when the Gentiles were welcomed into the family of God through the Jewish Messiah. And this is represented by the visiting Magi in Matthew chapter 2. There's so much riches here. There's so much theological depth here, and I've done most of my Christian life not knowing any of this. And so I want to invite us into that this Advent. Let's spend this four weeks. And then let's spend 12 days of feasting. And then let's celebrate Epiphany. And let's remember all that God has done and look ahead to what he's doing. Okay, that's the Cliff Nose version of Advent. Uh, a season where we set a time aside to prepare every day. Today we're going to go through the first week of Advent, which is the week of hope. And we'll light the hope candle at the end of this sermon. And when I think of hope and faith at Advent, because those two go hand in hand, hope and faith, there are two people who come to mind. Elizabeth and Mary. And so we're going to read a bit about their stories of faith this morning and and look at what that means for you and me in our present time and circumstances. Open up to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to hear a little bit about uh, Elizabeth's story. Starting in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Now what happens next is an angel of the Lord comes to see Zechariah and says, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him John. He is going to prepare the way for the coming king, for the Lord. And uh, Zechariah is like, I don't know if you know about biology, man. That's not going to happen. It's not, it doesn't work like that, you know. And so he kind of has this crisis of faith a little bit. And, and, and the angel's like, all right, you don't get to talk anymore, uh, <laughs> right? But then this miracle happens, right? They conceive a child miraculously where it was once impossible. And so if we fast forward to verse 24, after his wife Elizabeth became pregnant for, uh, and for five months remained in seclusion, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor, favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And so what is, what is Elizabeth's faith? What can Elizabeth's faith teach us? I think Elizabeth's faith can teach us this. Faith looks like waiting. Sometimes faith looks like waiting. And this is a hard thing to hear. It's a hard truth to hear. Elizabeth, in many ways, represents Israel. In her time, women did not have the rights that men had, and they were often valued primarily because of their ability to have children. And so she's, she's got this dual thing of, like, I'm, I'm waiting in my personal life. I'm also waiting in this bigger picture. It's not fair 
for Elizabeth to have to go through this. It's not what God had in mind, but he often worked through difficult circumstances like Elizabeth's. We see time and time again where God intervenes in stories of those who struggle with fertility and he brings life where it was once possible. And I want to pause really quickly and say, if infertility has been a part of your story, God sees you. And I don't say that to to throw out some sort of false hope that that what happened for Elizabeth is going to happen for you. I don't know that. He may or he may not. But I say that to let you know that God sees you. He cares. The culture that says women's worth is only through childbearing is a lie. That's not from God. You are no less a man or a woman if this is your story of infertility. You're not incomplete, even if sometimes it feels that way. God sees you. We see you. And I want to say family is not just biological. With Jesus, we're like the Olive Garden. When you're here, you're family. (laughs) Now I want breadsticks. But in all seriousness, if this is your story, we walk through this together with you. And when we read these passages, we don't gloss over it like this is a miracle that everybody receives, right? But for Elizabeth, she does receive this miracle. And what blows me away is not just the miracle, it's her faith. It's the hope that she had that God was going to do something. And I'm not even sure it was hope and faith that God was going to give her a child. It was hope and faith in something else. See, she and her husband are, are described as being righteous in the sight of God. They're, they're faithful and they're following in his ways. They were faithful when it seemed like they had a million reasons to doubt that God was at work. In the big picture, like I said, Elizabeth kind of represents Israel. They were part of a conquered people, the people of Israel. The people who, who were in their homeland, but everywhere they went, there were constant reminders that they weren't free. The presence of Rome was everywhere. And they'd been promised a savior for hundreds of years. And they're crying out, God, how long? When are you going to intervene? But it's not just in the big picture. It's in their personal lives. They're wondering why. Not just the infertility and the pain that comes with it, but the feeling of disgrace. You see, Elizabeth used that word disgrace because of how others would have seen and talked about her in that culture and time. And yet here she was waiting hoping, trusting, when there was little obvious evidence that God was at work. She and her husband had probably given up on the idea of ever having a child, but they didn't give up on God. They believed that God was working, that he hadn't abandoned them or his people. Elizabeth inspires me because in the waiting, she stayed faithful. She kept hope. She was able to see a bigger picture. Though it doesn't seem like it now, She's saying, my faithfulness matters. God's going to reward my hope. I may not see that reward, but I know it's coming. Such a model for faith for us today because we live in a world of instant gratification, right? I mean, we were just talking about this the other day of just how much the world has changed in the last, you know, 20 years, five years, et cetera, right? But you reach into your phone and your pocket and you got this little magic rectangle that you push buttons that you got something you want to buy, boop, 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 there it is. It's on its way right? You know, you want any information? Just give it a quick goog and that thing's at your fingertips right then, right? Little self-esteem boost. I'm going to take, I'm going to post this selfie that uh, took me 45 tries to get, but I'm hoping that it'll get kind words and likes from people to make me feel better about myself. Or I'm going to post about my latest accomplishment because I need people to tell me nice things about myself. And I'm not knocking this completely because I'm not Amish. I have an iPhone too. But in many ways, it's a great tool. But it's also not a tool that helps us build our faith all the time. Because what happens when the joy 
that comes through the thing I just ordered on Amazon goes away. I gotta go look for the next thing I want on Amazon, right? There'll always be a new one. What happens when, when all the information that you didn't want comes through? We live in a time where every single bad thing that happens on this globe is accessible to us in real time. I don't think we were meant to have that much bad news in our life all of the time. It, it, it totally helps us, it totally keeps us from having any perspective that goodness is happening all around us. And it leaves us in the state of anxiety because it's just bad news after bad news. What happens when you stop getting as many likes or comments on your posts or people don't compliment you the way they used to or it just feels hollow or empty? It doesn't last. Waiting is hard. Trusting God when the instant gratification doesn't come is hard. What happens when the answer to your prayers doesn't seem to be coming? What happens when you can't seem to find a way out of a difficult circumstance? What happens when, when you're looking for evidence that God is at work in your life and it feels like you just keep coming up empty every time? That's when we look to Elizabeth, this hero of the faith. Her faith is a model for me and you because even when it seemed like there was no reason for hope, there was no reason to believe that there was a reward for her faithfulness, she pressed on in faith anyway. And guess what? Her reward came. And I want to make the argument that the reward she received was not just a son, although that's important. It was not just the son, John. I think that what she received, the bigger gift she received, is that she got to participate in the work that God was doing. She got to play a role in this announcement that the kingdom of God was coming. She and all of her people had been waiting and waiting and waiting this promise, we believe it, we want to believe it, we're trying to believe it, and all of a sudden, it's coming. And guess what, Elizabeth, you get to play an important role. Your faith is rewarded because you get to be a part of this. Her faith led her to believe that God was going to bring salvation and healing to a broken people and a broken world. And because of her faithfulness, you get to play a key role. See, in her waiting, she didn't sit on the sidelines and just observe or critique. No, in her waiting, she continued to serve God. In her waiting, she was faithful. And that faith led to this invitation to participate in the greatest story of all time. Elizabeth is a model of faith for me because she so, shows me that, that waiting isn't passive. I, I can continue to press forward and take steps of faith and of faithfulness, believing that though I may not see it, God is gonna do something. Don't give up, don't lose heart, because one day we're gonna see it all come true. Now, that's Elizabeth, and she inspires me so much, but I also am inspired by Mary and, and her story as well. And so let's look again to Luke 1, but we're going to jump to verse 26 and, and hear Mary's story of faith and hope. Starting in verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth in a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel uh, went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give you 
Uh, Give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. What we learn from Mary in this reading is that sometimes faith looks like saying yes. A simple yes. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary is saying yes to the angel Gabriel in this passage, but I want to make the case this morning that she's doing something even more. She's saying yes to Jesus. Or more more accurately for Mary, she's saying yes to all that comes with being the mother of Jesus. Anyone who tells you that your life circumstances will be easier when you say yes to Jesus, just point them to the story of Mary. Think about all that came with that. Immediately, her life was about to change. She's pregnant, but not with the baby of her fiancé. The first thing she's going to have to do is go talk and be like, hey, Joseph, so here's the deal, right? Like, that's a hurdle, and thankfully, God sent an angel to Joseph so he knew what God's plan was and participated with her in this. But just because Joseph knows doesn't mean everybody else knows. Who else would believe her? This doesn't happen. Immaculate conceptions don't happen. No, something shady must have been going on. And now the judging eyes of everyone are on her. She's unmarried and pregnant. At the very least, she knew this. This was going to make her life a lot more difficult in the short term. And she was also saying yes to things that she at least partially knew. She was tasked with raising the Messiah. It kind of seems like a big responsibility, right? Hey, you're going you're to raise the king of the universe. Oh, okay, sure, I'm up to the task. Nobody's up to that task, right? At the very least, it was going to keep her from being able to live a quiet and simple life. She was going to have an unknown future with a lot of twists and turns. But she said yes to a lot of probably unknowns, too. Have you ever heard the song, Mary, Did You Know? Anybody? I've heard it in church every year at Christmas. It's a, it's, a, it's a divisive song. Some people love it, some people don't. But it asked this great question. What did she know? And the answer is probably a mixed bag. She probably knew a lot, and she probably didn't know a lot. She probably didn't know that shortly after the birth of her son, she'd be on the run, going to Egypt, running from Herod, this childlike tyrant king who saw this threat to his throne because the prophet said, look, the king of the Jews is here. He's saying, that's my title. And so he's having the firstborn child of every family be killed. And so she didn't know that she was going to be on the run. She probably didn't know that this son was going to ditch them uh, at 12 years old to go talk to religious people. (laughs) A bit of a headache there. Um, She probably didn't know that the son was almost never going to be home. That he was going to opt out of the family business at a certain point, and instead he was going to be all over the place leading a band of misfits proclaiming the kingdom of God. She probably didn't know that she herself would follow him as one of his trusted disciples. She somehow knew that he could turn water into wine, though. That's the curiosity. (laughs) 
She probably didn't know the pain that, that, that she would endure as she saw, watched her son arrested, beaten, convicted in sham trials. She probably didn't know that she would have to stand by helpless as he's crucified. She probably didn't know that when she and others were going to go to the tomb to do what they were supposed to do and care for his body, that his tomb would be empty. And that her overwhelming sorrow would turn to unspeakable joy. And she probably didn't know that she'd have to say goodbye to him soon after that as he ascended to heaven. So to answer the song, we don't know for sure what Mary knew. We don't know what what came through her mind when Gabriel came to her with this, this message. But we know that she said yes to all of it. She said yes to all the joy and the pain that would come with saying yes to Jesus. Mary's yes wasn't just about her. Her yes changed the whole world. God took that yes and changed the entire course of human history, even into eternity. Mary didn't know all that would come. She didn't know all that was possible by saying yes, but God did. In the same way, we have no idea what is possible when we say yes to God. When God asks us to take a step of faith, he doesn't always show us the the steps after that. He doesn't always show us the finish line. He doesn't even show us five steps down the path. But he asks us to say yes to this next step of faith. The, The vision I get often when I think about this is a dad in a swimming pool telling his toddler, jump in. It's okay, I've got you. I won't let you go. We take a leap of faith by taking that first step. Mary is a model of hope and faith for us today because she didn't ask God for a step-by-step GPS-guided, voice-guided tour through every part of the plan. She trusted God and said, yes, I will take this step of faith because I know you will guide me. I know you will be with me. I don't know what step two, three, or 500 look like, but I trust you, so I'll take that first step. So this Advent season, this, this season of hope, what step of faith is God asking you to take? Maybe you've never taken a first step of faith. You've been curious about Jesus, and that's why you're here on a Sunday morning or why you're tuning in online. You're curious about it, but you've never taken that leap of faith to begin following him, chasing after him, defining your life by him. And Today, I would encourage you to take that first step. Reach out to him. Tell him you believe that his life, his death, his resurrection are enough that you can know God, that you can have your sins forgiven, that you can have true and abundant life. Begin walking in faith even when you have doubts, but taking steps of faith as if you're 100% certain. I encourage you, if that's you today, take that step of faith. That yes that you do, you have no idea what's possible, what God wants to do in and through you. Perhaps you've been afraid to talk about Jesus with somebody in your life. You know that God is pulling on your heart to do so. You know that God is asking you to pray for somebody, but you've been a little intimidated to take that step. God's been asking you to share your own story with somebody, but you've been a little standoffish because like, what if they reject me? What if they don't like what I have to say? I'll just encourage you, keep praying. Keep praying, asking God for faith, asking God for the right moment, asking God for the right situation. Take that step of faith. Continue that conversation. Move the conversations from small talk to real life. Be vulnerable. Open yourself up. 
We don't have to have all the answers. We just take a step of faith and we watch what the Holy Spirit does. Perhaps you have to make a tough decision and you know exactly what Jesus would want you to do, but you're not sure what the fallout's going to be. Take that step of faith. Do what is right, even if it will make things harder in the short term. In the long run, your faith will be rewarded. Perhaps your faith is barely hanging on by a thread, and if that's you, I want to say, look to Elizabeth. Stay faithful, even when the evidence that God cares, that God is working in your life, even when that's hard to see, don't give up. Wait on the Lord. He hasn't abandoned you. Keep looking for him this Christmas season. I'm going to invite the band back up. They're going to sing some more uh, worship uh, songs together this morning. But I, as they come up, I want to share with you this quote. This quote from the anticipated Christ. And I wanted to set the tone of the rest of the Advent season. Brian Zahn says this. During Advent, try to feel Israel's century-long wait for the promised Messiah. Let the anticipation build. And when we reach Christmas, don't take down the tree and pack away the decorations on December 26th. The party has just begun. Join with the angels and the shepherds and the wise men and Simeon and Anna, and I'm going to add to that Elizabeth and Mary and all the rest in unbounded joy that comes with the birth of Christ. With this anticipation, today we light this candle we call hope. As we see in the faith of Elizabeth and Mary, Waiting on the Lord and saying yes to the Lord is worth it. God rewards our hope. He rewards our ability to trust in him even when it seems like that's the hardest option. God rewards our faith not just with gifts but with himself. As we light the hope candle, we pray for more and more faith to trust Jesus to hope that his promises will come true, to join him in his work and invite more and more of him into our day, daily lives. So we light the hope candle this morning. Pray with me. Lord, as we light this first candle, the the first that represents the gifts that we receive when we receive Jesus, we put our hope in you and you alone. And Lord, that is hard. It is hard to do. It's hard to do when we're in a dark time in our life. It's hard to do when life isn't as it should be. It's hard to do when we pray the same prayer over and over and we don't see the answer yet. God, give us the, the, the ability to wait, to continue to hope, to continue to take steps of faith, even when it's hard to feel and believe. God, help us to say yes to you because we trust you. Because even if what's ahead is scary, we know it's the very best thing for us. When we say yes to Jesus, we actually receive Jesus and that's the greatest gift of all. Lord, if there's anyone here today who has never put their hope in you, have never said yes to Jesus, Lord, I pray during this time that we're singing, you would speak to them and they would surrender their lives to you and say, I'm, I'm following Jesus from here on out. For all of us, Lord, 
Help us to say yes to Jesus this Advent season. Whatever it is you're calling us to, whatever it is you're inviting us to, God, we know it is so good because we will find you there. So we put our hope in you with these songs, with our prayers, but we put our hope in you with our actions. Let us live by faith. Let us live as if we're 100% certain, even in the midst of doubt. Our hope is in you and you alone, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.